Merry Christmas. I'm Stephanie Smith. And I'm Angela Sackett. We're so glad you're joining us for our 2020 Advent study, Longing and Light. Just as God's people long for the promised Messiah to come, we savor his appearing and long for his return. During this Advent, we will see how the Gospel of John recognizes an innate longing in all of us and points us to fulfillment in Jesus. As we enter into this Christmas season, we're closing a year filled with challenges, disappointments, and shifting ground. Advent is an incredible invitation to lean forward and look up at Jesus, our hope, our anchor, and the light that shines in the darkness. Merry Christmas. Hey, it's Angela here, and I am so excited to bring you to week three of Longing and Light, our Advent study. And today, Stephanie is going to take us through um, the section that we're going to be reading, which is living water and flowing wine. Is that right? Yeah, John (laughs) 2. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So yeah, we're in John 2 this week, and let's go. All right. Well, I have to start out with a question since we're talking, mm-hmm. since we're in Advent and Advent is all about Christ coming and us just celebrating that and really just taking on the heart of looking forward to that. Um, I was wondering if you have any good memories of like really anticipating something. Oh, oh, that's a good one. Um, yes, I do. And I, I have to start by saying I am, I'm a little bit, I love surprises, but I don't like knowing there's a surprise coming. I get, you know, that anxious butterfly feeling, which I don't love. Um, but when we first moved from Florida to New Jersey, very shortly after we got here, I got an opportunity to go and do a cooking segment on a morning talk show in New York, which is not too far from where we live. And, uh, the, the producers allowed me to bring my daughter with me and, we got to go for a, a full day, morning to night, take the train into the city and go out to dinner. And it was um, right before Christmas. So the Rockefeller Center was all lit up and the tree and everything. And um, just leading up to that, knowing that I got to take one of our kids and then later we've gotten to take other ones too, but into the city and explore and share the things that had been meaningful to me on prior visits. But then, yeah, all the giddiness of that. Love, love, loved it. Mm-hmm. That's cool. How about you? Um, I can remember being really mm-hmm. excited about get getting to go to England, um, oh, la- which yeah. was last year, and um, that's the fun thing about like in one sense, Advent, like the concept of Advent isn't even about a surprise, right? Like we, yes. they, there was this anticipation because they had been told what to expect, and yes. So in that sense, like I knew what to expect with with going to England. And as far as I had researched it and I've seen pictures, <laughs> and, but there was still this like I get to actually experience yes. it. And you know I what? Think, I anticipated that with you, too. Yes. <laughs> I remember. Yes. And then so isn't that neat, though? And that's how it is, too, for us, like anticipating yes. Christ's return is we want to experience it. I lo- I just read the uh, last night I was reading Pilgrim's Progress to my daughter Nora and um, Christian makes this comment that he had seen the one hanging on a tree for him who had made his burden fall off but he says 
but I, I can't wait to see him alive and, and, oh, and just he, like, as he's going to the celestial city, like that's what he wants to see. And just that anticipation of experiencing everything that has changed us, who we are in our inner being. Um, way, way I'm, better than England or New York. <laughs> oh yeah. So much better. So much better. Oh my goodness. Um, well, on that note, <laughs> let's, let's dig into John. Um, we are going to be at the beginning of chapter two today, but I wanted to get us there first by backtracking a little bit. Um, in our first week, we started in the prologue in chapter one, and I, we talked a lot about how John was introducing this idea of a new beginning in Christ and, how there was so much associated with creation language there. Um, In the beginning was the word. And so I just wanted to show you something that I think is neat in these these textual cues uh, that I think will add significance and meaning to the way you read um, this first miracle that John records for us or sign. I do think it's interesting. I I recently was reading that he intentionally uses the word sign as opposed Mm. to miracle and that there's there's a a weight there because there's a there's a conviction or even I would say a condemnation of the the people who choose not to believe the signs Mm -hmm. because they had been told all along that there would be signs for them that the Messiah had come. So anyways. I'm already seeing so many connections to where we're going next week. Then we talk about the light. Oh, that's awesome. So I think you'll think this is fun too. So count, count these days for me, Angela. So we say we started with in the beginning, right? Mm -hmm. So that would be day one, right? And then John, this is just the way he chooses to set it up, right? He, in verse 29 of chapter one, he says the next day. And so that would be two. And then he says in 35, again, the next day. So that's three. Three. And then in 43, he says the next day. Now we're at four. I'm good at this. Yeah. (laughs) And then in the very first verse of chapter two, he says on the third day. So what do you get when you add three to four? Enter. Wait, are we going three after that four? Yes, three after that four. So you would come to seven, seven, which would be Whoa. the Sabbath. The, you know, seven is super significant yeah. as far as the number goes. And there's something significant taking place here. And I think it's not by mistake that John places this in the context of the Sabbath. Wow. Yes. And then, the, and then there's, again, John is so good at these double meanings and he also uses that very significant phrase on the third day. And I think that there's Mm -hmm. a double meaning there because what do we always think of when we hear on the third day? The resurrection. That's right. Amen, sister. So on the third day is cluing us into the fact of something Jesus says later, which I've always understood differently, but as I was studying this passage again, just digging deeper still, I I came across an explanation 
for when Jesus says to his mother, um, when she comes to him and says, they don't have any wine, he says, what has this concern of yours to do with me, woman? My hour has not yet come. And I think when he says that, he's referring to his hour of crucifixion, the, the time he was appointed for, right? Yeah. And yeah. You, you actually see, like, once I heard that, it started standing out to me how many times John uses that word hour and with with a serious, like, symbolism to it um, mm. of Jesus's, you know, moment on earth, the, the reason he's here. So it's not that he's saying, it's not as though he's saying, you know, don't force me into doing something I'm not supposed to be doing it. But I think the emphasis here is actually supposed to be like the time for what I'm about to do hasn't arrived yet. And so what I'm about to do is is shining light on or or demonstrating something that is going to happen when I when my hour has come when I die. So. Mm. So and and you'll see how that um, unfolds as we get into it. But I think the miracle or the sign that he performs here is pointing us to something, a truth that is that occurs after he has risen again. So I'm very intrigued and I'm also loving it because I I think there's so much of that. And we talked about that last week, too, a connection between earthly activities or provisions that point us to spiritual truths, truths about the person of Jesus and his work in our lives. Yes. Very cool. And this, I mean, just the context of a wedding feast, I mean, this is a happy, a happy situation. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think the message here is celebratory. Mm -hmm. It's joyful. And so just to get into it a little bit, um, do you are you in John two by chance? Do you want to yes, read? Yes, I am. Okay. Yeah. Would you Do you want to verse one? Yeah. Will you start at verse one and then you can just um, read at to verse eight for now. You got it. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, "They have no wine." And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. (laughs) Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out in the water and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. Thank you. And I just wanted to point out, because it's easy to read over some of these details, that the six stone water jars um, were there for Jewish purification. Mm-hmm. That's so, at me too. Yeah. So this is for their ceremonial cleansing when they would um, go to present sacrifices or, or um, just need to cleanse themselves after some of those laws laid out in Leviticus, like even like a woman's period or if they had touched Mm -hmm. anything unclean, a dead body, any of those things. Um, So 
that should immediately bring to mind just the law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so then we'll just keep going from there. And verse eight, if you want to just go down to um, 12, that'd be great. Yep. You want me to start at nine? Uh, yes. Yeah, sorry. Nine. Yeah, that's what that's I meant. Okay. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you've kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Thank you. So we read this and we think, cool, he made water into wine. Like, that's a neat party trick. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like that. But I think that for John's audience, they're hearing this and their minds going back to a lot of um, Isaiah's prophecies Mm -hmm. and Jeremiah's prophecies and even even some things we read in Amos. Um, There's a lot of Old Testament symbolism and promises that relate to wine and so I think that John is saying something more here than just that Jesus can do some cool things Mm -hmm. that are maybe like convenient Mm -hmm. (laughs) nice things to you know save embarrassment and bless his host and and that's the same with what you talked about last week it was more than Jesus was providing lunch yeah (laughs) (laughs) I just remember, you know, that's how I saw it on the surface (laughs) level as a child, you know, and it's just so, it's so cool to like see the. Real quickly too, it's kind of a little rabbit trail, but it always jumps out at me. This this interaction between Jesus and his mother, where he says, you know, it's not my time yet. And her immediate response is do whatever he tells you. And I have to laugh because it's so earthy in real life. And I mean, I, I totally do that with my my kids. You know, I trust them to handle. But although I, I don't think she grasps the full extent of what this all means yet, like the disciples, there is this cool sense of she does make the assumption that he can do something more than just your average Joe good son can. And there's some cool, I don't know, I love seeing that evidence of her faith already. Oh, yeah. So... I wanted to just point something out with the use of water, like kind of starting in the negative sense in Isaiah 20, 24. Um, we'll see how when things are going badly, um, they use the lack of wine to demonstrate or Isaiah does and to demonstrate um, things just not being in their ideal situation. Hmm. Um, So that's in Isaiah 24 and verses 3 to 11. If you're there already, you go ahead. If not, I'll get there. I'm there. Go ahead. The earth shall be utterly empty and utterly plundered, for the Lord has spoken this word. The earth mourns and withers. The world languishes and withers. The highest people of the earth languish. The earth lies defiled under its inhabitants, for they have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse devours the earth and its inhabitants suffer for their guilt. 
Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are scorched and few men are left. The wine mourns, M-O-U-R-N-S. The vine languishes, all the merry-hearted sigh. The mirth of the tambourines is stilled. The noise of the jubilant has ceased. The mirth of the lyre is stilled. No more do they drink wine with singing. Strong drink is bitter to those who drink it. The wasted city is broken down. Every house is shut up so that no one can enter. There's an outcry in the streets for lack of wine. All joy has grown dark. The gladness of the earth is banished. Thank you. Yeah. Isn't that such a like intense picture? Yeah. I mean, you're going to laugh, but I literally have in my margin notes. It feels like 2020. (laughs) (laughs) That'll be interesting to go back and look at, won't it? (laughs) Yeah. But there is so much about just kind of the sadness and the misery of the earth. And um, this is in the context of Isaiah, God sending Gentile nations, Israel's enemies, um, and really just kind of ransacking them. And then, um, yeah, so it's not a pretty picture. And what I, an interesting illustration, though. I would have never connected the two. Right. That... When the joy is gone, when the celebration has ceased, the wine is bitter or it's dried up. And hmm. yeah, so I think that's helpful for for where we are now, uh, post-exile. And the wine is not dried up. And not only is it not dried up, but Jesus told them to fill the jars to the brim with water. Mm-hmm. So that means that the wine is to the brim. Yeah. You, and it even takes that it's overflowing. Yeah. It even takes the time to tell us how many gallons were, I mean, we're, it's a yes. lot. <laughs> yes. Um, so, so, and then we saw that same darkness, like John is wanting to connect that darkness in Isaiah mm-hmm. to the darkness when Christ arrived. Right. Mm. So, just like we talked about in week one. So I'm not going to reiterate that if you haven't listened, go back, but this is a dark time when Jesus Mm -hmm. comes into the scene and there is joylessness. There is government oppression from Rome. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so this is just like so powerful, the sign here. Um, And now I want to show you some of these promises that they would have associated with wine as being a positive thing, a good thing. So that, if you were already in Isaiah, good, because we're just going to move one chapter over to 25 and verses 6 through 8. Do you want to read that, Angela? Yeah, I can do that. 25, 6 to 8. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. Mm. Yes, and my version even says finely aged wine. I just love that. Yes. (laughs) 
So God is giving his people a promise that one day all of that devastation and death and misery will be replaced with a feast on his holy mountain, Mount Zion. And that feast is going to include wine. And so much so that he bothers to repeat it two times. Yeah. Yeah. So I just love that. And he will destroy the burial shroud. How cool is that? Because John is linking this to resurrection. And Mm -hmm. there you have the destruction of a burial shroud, um, uh, that destruction of death. Um, And it makes me think of that imagery we talked about last week, too, that he came not just to raise us from the dead, but to give us life abundant. Yeah. And ain't no boring, legalistic, icky, gross religion that we're talking about. We're talking about abundant life in Christ. Yes. So we should equate in our mind. I'm just going to spell it out clearly for you here. (laughs) When you read wine, I mean, you should think joy. This is about joy and abundant life, as Angela said. That, now, I'm not I'm not here, like, arguing about whether it was literal wine. That's not the discussion we're having. The point is, <laughs> the point is whether it was literal, literal wine or not, there was a bigger meaning implied. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, joy, guys. That's what Jesus came to bring. <laughs> and I just want to, like, really quick, too, Angela, if you don't mind finding Amos 9, 13, and 14. And I'll find Jeremiah 31, 12. Just want to give you guys a picture like this. These are all um, prophets who spoke to Israel during their darkest times in exile or right before exile, warning them about exile. And and they all have to do with um, the promise of better times coming. Mm, boy, did we need that, do you think? Right um, now? <laughs> yes, I need that right now. Um, you said Amos what? I, nine. I Amos, Amos okay. 9, 13, and 14. And I'm going to read Jeremiah 31, 12 really quick. Okay. It says, They will come and shout for joy on the heights of Zion. They will be radiant with joy because of the Lord's goodness, because of the grain, the new wine, the fresh oil, and because of the young of the flocks and herds. Their life will be like an irrigated garden, and they will no longer grow weak from hunger. Their life will be like an irrigated garden. I'm going to hold on to that. I'm going back to take notes on this, you guys. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, yeah, and then Amos 9, 13 and 14. All right. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. Yes. Ooh, I love that. Mm. Dripping wine. Um, so, guys, what's so significant about this is Jesus is refilling the, the empty, joyless vessel of the law with wine. The joy of a new covenant coming with his death and resurrection. Yeah. His hour, as John says. <laughs> yes. And the other cool thing is like he's demonstrating that Christ, Christ is demonstrating that he not only has power over the natural world of water turning into something else, but power over the law, which is such a bigger deal. Mm-hmm. Like we are no longer condemned in our sin and without hope because of our stone hearts, but that he has come to give us a heart of flesh that delights in his law. Oh my word. 
So good. He takes everything and turns it on its head. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> and I, I just love, like, to me, this is really encouraging, too, because this whole scene is set up at a wedding. And I think that's pointing to, like, that when Jesus gives us a heart of flesh, he's saying this isn't about checking boxes. This isn't about obligation. This is about a relationship. I'm your yes. father. I'm your king, and I love you. And he wants us to have joy and and freedom and a, just a release of our burdens so that we can delight in him and, and literally feast and celebrate like you would at a wedding, drinking and celebrating with wine in who he is. Boy, and that changes everything. We'll touch on this next week a little bit, that response of obedience to God. But it, it changes everything from this culture of fear and rule following and trying to earn to yes. a delighted child, a delighted bride at the feet of the Lord, the master, the father, the groom. Mm-hmm. And I love, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to No, no, it's okay. I was stumbling all over myself. (laughs) (laughs) Responding in delight to being loved. And we talked a little bit about, um, in the first week about John's, like, kind of double meanings of, like, water and the word. And I think you get that here, too, of the water. um, He's turning that into wine, but he's also, like, washing us with the water of the word. Which is himself. Himself, yes. Thank you. <laughs> and so we're just getting that that cleansing. It's no longer through these ceremonial laws, right? It's through the water of him, his, the water that spilled from his side. Um, and just on that idea of even our relationship with Christ, our our quiet time, like not feeling like this obligation, but this opportunity mm-hmm. to to run to and delight in the presence of our father. I love how Dallas Willard in his book, Renovation of the Heart, he makes this comment about joy, the joy we have in Christ. He says, joy is a pervasive sense, not just a thought of well-being, of overall and ultimate well-being. Its primary feeling component is delight in an encompassing good, well-secured. Mm. And what I like about that is that, you know, that joy is not just a thought, but mm-hmm. that it's this this very rock solid and lasting sense of a good, well secured. I love that. I love his phrasing there that we have this good that has been purchased by Christ that is unshakable. <laughs> You know, it makes me think, too, you mentioned this idea of quiet time, but I feel like the more time you spend in his presence, the more that becomes the pervading, encompassing state that we're in, even despite chaos around us, versus the opposite of, I'm generally in chaos, but I go running back to spend time with God to make me feel better for a moment. It starts to become the opposite of that. There's a settledness about this. That's a, a great point. Yeah, I love that. I need to remember that in my daily life. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always preaching to myself. And I couldn't help but jump to Mark too, you guys, because this is a a comment that 
Jesus makes that I think puzzles a lot of people and it puzzled me for years, but it, it relates to this wine thing in Mark two twenty two. He says, mm-hmm. sorry, finding my place. Um, he says, but the time will come when the groom is taken away from them and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new patch pulls away from the old cloth and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is lost as well as the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. And it feels a little bit like a riddle, but what he's saying there is exactly what John is saying. This is new wine. It's the new covenant, the new law. And Mm -hmm. that that new covenant, the new Christianity that Jesus brings, doesn't fit within the ceremonial regulations of the old law. He brings this unmerited righteousness, freedom, and a transformed heart. And that we can't try to fit that into a checklist. Yes. Yeah. When we and when we try to do that, we we lose it, the joy, right? It bursts, right? <laughs> yeah. Like you said, the wine skins burst and the wine yeah. is lost. Yeah. And, and man, oh, I just love that you said that because that is such a good reminder. Like, how often do we just sit there and guilt trip ourselves for how much we failed for the week? Mm, or take pride in all the things we think we've done to check off all the lists. Um, yes, that too, for sure. <laughs> and you know, I think that's this weird, crazy paradox is the more we understand our need, the more we understand that we got no wine, that we are dead in our sins, or that we are even as believers still desperately needy of his ongoing transformation, the more joy we have in that. It's like understanding our desperate need for him increases our joy in what he does give us himself yes yes it should keep us going back to those brimming pictures mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. um i love that in this in this sign that john talks about like the the water has become the wine but you see him flipping that back and forth all through john um because jesus also calls himself the living water mm-hmm. and it has that same meaning um, so I just wanted, I wanted to remind you of that story really quick where he talks to the Samaritan woman at the well in John four, um, where she asks him for a drink and, and then, um, or sorry, Jesus asks her for a drink. And then he said, um, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water Mm. and she says sir don't you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep so where do you get this living water you aren't greater than our father jacob are you he gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and livestock and jesus said everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again but whoever drinks from the water that i will give him will never get thirsty again ever In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up within him for eternal life. (laughs) I want that, she said, and I say also. (laughs) Yes. So I just, I love that. Um, 
Jesus is talking about living water, about how we will never be thirsty again when we drink of this living water. And I think that it really parallels this idea of him turning these ceremonial pitchers of water into wine. And it says, uh, even the, I love how the, the man, the chief servant in verse 10 says, everyone sets out the fine wine first. Then after people have drunk freely, the inferior, but you have kept the fine wine till now. I don't know. I just picture them all like getting this look of surprise and then just drinking freely of this even better wine. And like, that's, that's what God's inviting us to do is he's brought the better stuff and he's saying drink freely. And, well, you know, it makes me think about the law and the covenants. And I had written this in my margin of my Bible, too. In a sense, I think that's kind of what happened, right? The the Israelites, before Jesus came, they had all of these good signs, these good opportunities, these good. But they had to keep coming back and they had to keep coming back. We talked about that, you know, with the law. But we get the good wine. We get Jesus himself. We get the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Yes. 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 And you mentioned uh, last week the revelation text about the feast that Mm -hmm. God invites us to. But I just came back to that again in my head because there is again, like every time God mentions a feast, he's talking about wine and usually bread too somewhere. So, (laughs) and the wedding theme is in there. So absolutely. absolutely. It's all so intentional. Yes. So anyways, I, I just hope that as you think about that, um, this week that you will just feel, um, a freedom and a lightness that Christ is inviting you to come and partake of, of joy and forgiveness and new birth in him. Yeah. And, you know, we suggested this last week, but if you didn't, or even if you did do it, I think it might be a neat opportunity again to celebrate communion together as a family. And I don't know, I've never made this connection before till this minute, but Jesus talking about his blood being shed, being the wine, you know, that Mm -hmm. somehow in God's crazy backward way, his death was our joy, brings our joy, his death and resurrection. Yes, yes. Oh my goodness. Say it again. I love the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> I love the man, the God who wrote it. And then, then he um, let write it on his behalf. Amen. Their inspiration, his inspiration. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, next week, Angela is going to finish us off with Jesus and him saying, I am the light of the world. Yeah. So we look yeah, forward yeah, yeah. to you joining us. Make sure you dig in this week, you guys. Thank you. Merry Christmas.